This is a crowd podcast. You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton. This is the podcast that gives you leadership insights on how teams come together, grow, and ultimately win. Today's guest is Leicester City's Premier League title winning captain, Wes Morgan. Just playing the Premier League was a highlight. That was the pinnacle for me. You know, if I could fast forward time and know what else was to come, you know, I wouldn't believe it. That was what was unique about our set of players. We wouldn't get carried away. Sometimes I do reflect and I think, did it really happen? This is a really special episode for me, actually. I grew up wanting to be a Premier League centre-back, and I had a trial for Cardiff City at under-14s, and it was at that age when I didn't obviously get in, I realised how good you have to be to be a Premier League footballer. Messer's title win in 2016 is right up there, with the biggest achievements in modern sport and history. And as I joked with Wes, I was hoping it was going to be the year for Tottenham Hotspur, but wasn't to be. Wes is in an elite group of captains to have lifted the Premier League trophy. Players like Tony Adams, John Terry, Vincent Kompany, Amanda Vidic, all great centre-backs, big leaders that really impressed their personality on their teams. And I think you can say the same for Wes. We touch on many leadership traits in this chat, the importance of team bonding and keeping everyone involved over an extended period of time. 38 games is a long slog and there will be times when people are involved and times when other people need to step up. So fostering a good team spirit is key. Enjoy the episode with Wes Morgan. Mate, thank you so much for jumping on and um, yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, thank you for having me. Nice to meet you, Sam. I'm doing very, very well, actually. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. So this is a really interesting one for me because you're part of a, a very prestigious, exclusive group. There's very few people who've actually captained a winning side in a Premier League. And never mind just that, probably arguably the most iconic league win that, that there's ever been. How would you sum up the main responsibilities of being a captain at a Premier League side like Leicester City? I think the main probably attributes you need is to be empathetic, understanding, be able to communicate very well, motivate your group, your team, and lead, be the leader, uh, lead by example, be the first one to, you know, set the example and show the team that, you know, you're in a battle, you're ready to fight and hopefully they follow follow suit. Were they things that you actively or consciously thought about being like when you were being a captain? Because you sort of got the captaincy, you know, you were like not as a young player, so you've probably seen a lot of people who've led you and you learn what to do and what not to do from from seeing other people. Did you have a pretty good idea in your mind of what sort of captain you wanted to be when the time did come when you were asked to be a captain? I think I never thought about, right, I'm being a captain, you know, I want to, this is what I aspire to. I'm a natural leader, anyone on the pitch. I lead in my type of way. You know, I've had man, I've had captains where they've shouted and screamed and been very, very vocal. And I wouldn't say I'm, I'm vocal for vocal sake. I, I feel like I speak when it's necessary and when it's time and in the right way. I've never wanted to you know, right, this is my aim, I'm, I'm going to be a captain. You know, I've, I've been captain at, at, at international level for Jamaica. Um, I've been captain at, at Nottingham Forest, be it when the other captains have been injured or been suspended. But I think at Leicester, it was a surprise. You know, I was only there six months um, to a new team, 
and I got asked to be the captain. Uh, so it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock and a bit of a surprise. And at the time, I think Leicester was going through a bit of a period where there was changing a lot of players around, and obviously the manager wanted you know a different type of player, um, a different type of environment in in the club, and. Yeah, you know, I was a bit surprised and shocked, but I was honoured at the same time and I felt comfortable and, and confident, I'd like to say, that, okay, I've got this armband, you know, it must be on the merit of, you know, how I am anyway, so I'm just going to continue to do that and probably step up a bit more, if anything, step up and really try and help the manager and the staff, try and get the best out of the players and, you know, make it my probably duty to help the team wherever I can, which I would have done anyway, but now I felt like the onus was on me a lot more to to make sure that happens. I wasn't certainly as mature as experienced as you when I was named captain and I had a, a psychologist who helped me come up with what I called my captain's compass, my leadership compass, and he said to me, he had a compass on a piece of paper and he said, you need to write down the four things that you want to demonstrate as a captain, which you think will make you be a good leader. You've mentioned a few things already. If you had to have Wes Morgan's captain's compass, what four traits would you want to demonstrate to make sure that you were the best possible captain that you wanted to be? I think the first thing would definitely be authentic. You know, I've always liked to say, yeah, I love that. I've always been myself, despite if I was the captain, if I wasn't the captain, if I wasn't playing, if I am playing, you know, I'd like to say I'm very authentic on the pitch and people know me and that's why probably, you know, they've grew to like me and, um, you know, bide into what I'm saying. I think respect's a big thing and that might not be, you know, a characteristics, but that, that's a thing I'd, I always kind of promote. You know, if people respect you, you respect them, you can go far. I think that's a big, big thing in life in general. I think understanding these players, you have to understand the type of character. You know, I think you will know, you know, some people need arm random, some people need a kick up the bum to get them going. Understanding the, the type of players is, is very, very, very important and probably just being accountable. I think it's always a big, big thing, you know, in football where, and probably in many sports where people try and hide and, and try and, make excuses for whatever reason. And I think being accountable and, and standing up and it probably buys a little bit into, you know, leading by example, which is, you know, how I kind of demonstrate how I, how I like to lead. I think that's a big, big thing, you know, being accountable, understanding that you make mistakes and everyone does, holding your hands up and going again. I think that's a big, big thing. So I think that is four things. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The authentic one is one which... Um needs to come up more often because I think like you know it's like when you get captain you get certain privileges or you know you become higher profile people suddenly go on power trips and you see I'm sure you've seen it a million times in footy when someone gets given an ounce of power they, they run with it and then you but you can see straight through it or someone tries to be someone they're not and absolutely and when you said authentic there was a quote that um the same sports psychologist gave me he just said be true to yourself like if you try and be fake you know it's like you see it and boys will just look, be able to see straight through you if you're not yourself. And I think that's so important to be authentic. I, lo I love those four. I think they're great. So say moving to the um, the title winning season now. As captain, what was the ambition on that title winning season? Because looking at the odds, it was like 5,000 to one. It's just, you know, it's fairy tale stuff. What, what was it like as a captain going into that preseason? And what were you talking about trying to achieve? Yeah, I think 
normally in in a preseason it's time for obviously new players to get used to the current players and to get a real bond and togetherness and you know to build a relationship with, with everybody and funny enough the the season the preseason before the, the season we won the league I missed I was on international duty um, <laughs> and I was playing in two tournaments and we got to the final so I only got back to Leicester on the I think my first training was the Thursday and we had our first match of the season on the Saturday and uh, I was pretty worried, to be fair, because obviously the new manager, there was a change of management, Claudio Ranieri came in and he's obviously not seen me in pre-season. So I was thinking, oh, I hope he, you know, I'm selected, I'm picked, you know, because I've been away all summer, uh, internationals. I've just come back. I've only played you know, two training sessions before the first game. I don't know if I was going to play, but, you know, I think he's monitored me throughout the, the summer and, you know, saw what I was doing out there. And obviously to get to the finals is a big, big thing, especially for Jamaica. So, you know, he had faith in me and put me straight into the team. But yeah, you know, typically in pre-seasons, it, you know, we go through a lot of meetings on aims and a lot of team bonding exercises to, you know, build that character and that togetherness. And I think that's part and parcel of you know a team and that's not you know abnormal in in pre-season at a football club what sort of team bonding do you do there's many ways you know team bonding we do drinking exercises (laughs) yeah i was gonna lead to that one last but um, we do you know probably like exercises i remember one year you know we was doing um you kind of had to build a, like a pyramid thing and i think the aim was like you have to work in a team there's certain rules and there's four different groups and like the first group to build it and it's a you know a team building exercise on communication and organization there's them type of you know team bondings and and way to to bring you together and there's obviously other ways where you know we would always have a a night out together you know a bit of food a few drinks and i think that brings out the the characters in in people you know the, the more shy ones you know i think it's great because the ones that probably don't talk too much um, come out of the shell on in, in these team bonding sessions. And it's fantastic because you have the night out, you have a drink, you have a laugh and, and you speak about it for a, f- a few days, the next couple of days. And it's great because guys who are probably, you know, on the, the edges of the team, um, not really playing too much, um, feel part of the team all of a sudden because, you know, they've let their hair down, they come out of the shell and it works great because all of a sudden, you know, they, they feel a part of the team and football can be a bit clicky. You different groups and some people can feel isolated, but, you know, I, f- I always felt as, as part of my role as, as captain to bring everyone together and make sure everyone feels included. I, I know we're talking about like, being captain and being professional and stuff, and people might think, oh, you've been hypocritical then to talk about nights out. But I, I think nights out were the single most important team bonding sessions that we did in rugby, like you said, because the quiet ones suddenly you find out they got this alter ego that you never knew about, which is hilarious. <laughs> so I remember like you go out and you'd have a big, you know, a big drink and you obviously factor it in at the right time, wouldn't you? And I remember like going down to breakfast the next day and all you can hear is like the cutlery on the tables because people are banging and laughing, talking about what's <laughs> happened. And suddenly like all those barriers are down. It's amazing. You said yeah. about um, when you come back uh, from international duty in the summer, you weren't sure if you were going to play. Were you, were you named as captain? I can't remember off the top of my head. Were you captain in that first game back? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, thanks to, to Claudio, you know, um, to, I'll be honest, I'd be surprised if I wasn't a captain. Um, but I think the biggest thing was he hasn't laid eyes on me yet. So it's kind of picked me on, on merit, really. So 
when a new manager comes in, as you well probably know, you know, it's, it's, it's everyone's all of a sudden, right, am I going to be playing? Probably a few certs where you think, yeah, he, he'd definitely be playing, you know, he's our top striker or whatever, but everyone's kind of got a bit of a level playing field all of a sudden and everyone's, you know, trying a bit harder and just to make sure they're still in the, you know, the starting level. You'll obviously get a lot of plaudits and, and rightly so and deservedly so, but, you know, every captain will always say there's normally a a good group of lieutenants so you know around them who, who would have been in that leadership group with you at Leicester um I think there's was, was three guys I heavily relied on I would say and that would be Casper Schmeichel yeah. you know great leader helped me a lot you know me and him you know when we having dips and spells over the years we would always come together and voice our concerns to the team and you know I felt we worked great as a team Jamie Vardy with his you know experience and probably just the way he is because he's a certain type of character um, <laughs> he, he was great for the team also and Andy King you know especially in the yeah. season we we went up I mean we won the league um, and all through my time there you know he was a person that I felt like he was my captain a little bit because he felt he made me feel very very welcome um, we got on so so well and despite me being the captain you know I used to always get advice off him so there's my four well three lieutenants I'd say and they helped me tremendously throughout the, the years at Leicester this is probably a little bit off topic I've always just wondered this I've always wanted to ask a Premier League centre back this question you know when like there's a defensive mistake and then the goalie runs out and starts yelling his head off right and I'm sure they know the cameras are on at that point are they actually shouting things constructive that moment in time or is it just a little <laughs> bit of like a little bit of ego kicking in when they know the camera's on him I know exactly what you mean you know, I often think sometimes you just Pipe let a goal in it's, it's your own fault right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't be shouting at us you've got to do it by yourself I think it's just an automatic reaction from, from a goalkeeper to you know you've probably seen it happen over the years and think you know what I, this is what I need to do as, as a goalkeeper just shout and scream just for the sake of it um, with Casper you know he's always a purpose to his shouting and screaming to be fair you know he's never quite happy whenever he concedes a goal however it might be you know and sometimes there's nothing you can do with the goals but Everyone understood, you know, what Casper's nah, about. Ah, he's moment, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Casper, whatever. <laughs> but nah, nah, nah. He was, you know... <laughs> yeah, we have, like, our number 10s. Our number 10s are, like, the sort of quarterback, you know? So they're the ones who are just... And, like, they're normally, like... Not that you need to be a hard man to play rugby, but they're normally the softest in the group as well. Right. And then they're just giving it the big one. And I'm like, hang on, mate. Hang on, can't... Anyway, I was just wondering, sorry, because I always see that. And I'm thinking... Surely, if I was a centre-back, I can imagine you being like, Casper, pipe down, mate, flipping out. But there we are, I just wondered. Are you suggesting the goalkeepers are the softest in the team? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that to Casper, mind, face-to-face, no. Um, so what, what sort of... you? There's interest in those three boys you mentioned. What sort of leader was Jamie Vardy? I think there's on and off the pitch, Vards, you know. Off the pitch, he's the kind of the joker, the character... You know, when things are serious, he'll be the one to, to break it up and do something stupid and silly and <laughs> just to make a few people feel comfortable. That's off the pitch and, you know, everyone loves him for, for the way he is. And then on the pitch, you know, you, if you watch him, he's the one that runs all day long, works his socks off for the team and kind of sets the tempo, you know. And normally he's the one that ignites our game and... That's him on and off the pitch, which is which is great, and that's why you know I always, whenever anything's going on or I need to talk or sort something out, you know, you know, I speak to him along with the other guys. So I imagine as the season progresses and you got these lads with you and you turn up to training, 
you have your sort of seven, eight rounds in and, you know, Leicester having a fantastic start this season. And then you sort of get to like that Christmas period. Can you remember what the conversations were like when you rock up the training? Say, whether it was Andy King, Jamie Vardy, Casper Schmeichel, who, for any of those lads, when were you actually starting to think, flip an egg, actually now we, we could be on for a Premier League title. When did that reality sort of start creeping in the season? Was it really early or was it quite late on? Uh, I think we all had different ideas when you know I know exactly where mine was and that was towards the end of February when we played Man City away and we beat them 3-1 yeah, yeah. and obviously Man City is such a, a big big team yeah. and I think the way we dealt with them and won the game that's when it kind of clicked in my head you know what we could actually do something especially and people might think that's strange because you know throughout the season we was there or thereabouts at the top of the league so that was what was unique about our set of players we wouldn't get carried away you know we didn't let it get to our head you know I think Clyde had done fantastic with kind of diverting the attention away from the players to the media and saying yeah we've got targets you know we just want to get to the you know 45 points and you know fight again next season and then once we got to that target it was like yeah want to finish top half and then once we got today you know hopefully we could finish in Europe and always kind of played it down took the pressure off us and I, I, I thought it was great because you know what the media's like you know they always yeah. want that answer yeah they think they can win the league they're, they're speaking about it all the time but that wasn't the case you know in us we were just calm thinking we're just going to do one game at a time and, and see how far we can get and I don't think anyone really thought you know, in the early stages, yeah, yeah, we could win the league. Come on, we're onto something. You know, it was definitely to the last third of the season where those type of thoughts would be creeping into people's minds. But for me, it was the, you know, February at some point, and when we played Man City away, I was and we beat them. That was when I thought, you know, we could do something special here. How do you keep that level of motivation and resilience? Probably is the most important one for a thirty-eight round Premier League because that's got to be. I don't I imagine at the end it must be so emotionally, physically, me mentally draining. You know, how do you keep that level of resilience all year round? Because that's such a an incredible thing. I, I'm from being in pro sport. I know that's such a hard thing to do. How do you boys do that? It's a great question because you know when you break it down, you know you're literally together for ten months and it's relentless, especially if you're in competitions and going far, playing in Europe, you're in every day, practically every day, and there's, there's no time off, no family time, no time to kind of mentally switch off. And it, it, it's tough. And I think, you know, throughout the years, I've become more and more resilient to how tough it is and kind of the expectations and just learning to cope you know you from from pre-season you're in you're working hard you're trying to build up that fitness so that's difficult and then come the season you know I think the spirit of the team is high they're ready to go as soon as you get into kind of the middle of the season it's it's winter time everyone's a bit down because it's cold and Christmas <laughs> and you don't get no time with your family you don't get to enjoy the festivities and games are thick and fast <laughs> yeah actually playing more more games so having to keep everyone going you know and, and that's me included having to kind of just understand like this is your job this is what you're doing to provide for your family and yeah you're not having time to spend and enjoy you know what is happening but this is part of, of what you're doing and what you love and it's that type of reminder you know doing what you love providing for your family you get your time in the summer to switch off and you just learn to cope with it you learn to cope with the day-to-day -day, the routines and it's before you know it when you played it so long it just becomes normal 
Is it worth it? Uh, you mentioned some of the sacrifices then, and I think that's why I actually feel sorry for footballers a lot because, um, say, rugby might play twenty five games a year, thirty football with it with cup runs. Oh God, you maybe you could you'd be up as a forty to, to fifty even, you know. But I think because people is well documented about the money footballers earn, get very little sympathy for say time off at you know not having time off at Christmas, and I actually like defend footballers a lot because I'm like well it's easy for people to have a go say, well, you're a pro sportsman you know you don't have the financial constraints and worries of other people and we'd love to be doing what they're doing and my answer is you know, money makes you happier but it doesn't make you happy yes it makes things easier but then the time away at Christmas from the family the relentless traveling the training people don't really sympathize with that but I do big time because it is it can get you down when it's so long and it's so relentless and the money doesn't make up for that it doesn't matter what you get paid sometimes when you talk about some of those sacrifices when you look back now is it worth it going through all that to be able to achieve what you have or do you sometimes wish I uh, it would be easier if I wasn't captain if I didn't have all this pressure this expectation or do you look back and think no it's totally worth it I think for me personally you know 100% worth it you know what I've achieved in my career how long I've lasted how fortunate I've been throughout my career in terms of of injury um, and just playing week in week out and you know always having the faith of most of the managers to continue to play me you know I've been very very fortunate and yeah exactly right with, with how you kind of describe it it's so difficult for, for players to make people understand that obviously it can be a very lucrative job but at the same time, you know, there's tremendous sacrifices that have to be made and having no holidays, not hardly seeing your family, your children, um, not able to enjoy, you know, festive times and kind of living a normal life is, is, is not possible as, as a footballer. And yeah, you get paid or you can get paid lots of money depending what leagues you're in and on what levels you are. And even that's for a short, short period, you know, that's that's not forever. So, you know, the, the swings around about all I can say from my point of view is, you know, I, I feel tremendously fortunate to end my career and look back and see all that I've accomplished and how kind of my journey's been because... You know, I've had 10 years in the Championship and League One. I don't think it was to the, to, I went to Leicester 28, around about 28, and then got to the Premier League at 30, you know. And for me, just playing the Premier League was a highlight. That was the pinnacle for me, you know. I've always wanted to just have that Premier League badge on my shirt. And I thought that was it. And, you know, if I could fast forward time and know what else was to come, you know, I wouldn't believe it. And it, I think that's just an incredible story because... When I look back and saying, you know, I just want to be in the Premier League and, and to achieve that, yeah, I would have retired happy. But to go on and, and do so much more, you know, it's, it's quite unbelievable. But majority of players struggle, really struggle with kind of having to explain to people, you know, how tough it is and the sacrifices because at the end of the day, you know, fans and, and general people just look at probably how much money you earn. So you should be happy, but that's not the case. Yeah, no, definitely. You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, and Leicester City's Premier League title-winning captain, Wes Morgan. You said you learned to deal with the relentless nature of, of the Premier League. You know, do you have any techniques with that? I mean, like, do you, did you deliberately try and switch off in the game or was it just from experience? How do you think you dealt and learnt the sort of the daily grind of the relentless nature of the Premier League? 
I think everyone has their ways, you know. I think uh, you have to switch off. It cannot be 24-7 for, for, for 10 months. Wow. It's, it's too much. You'll drive yourself insane. So what I will do, you know, I spend a lot of time with my friends and my family. And, you know, my friends, they can't understand me where they might touch on football, but they know it's the, you know, I don't want to talk about football when I've been at football all day. And we talk about all sorts of stuff besides football, which is great because it distracts you. And same with my family, you know, they understand that. Yeah, you know, they love watching me and they always touch on, the, on, on you know, oh yeah, that was a great win at the weekend and all that kind of stuff. I'll be like, yeah. And then we just go on to just normal stuff. And I think that kind of switch off is is vital to keeping you going. You know, there's that and there's also, you know, stuff you can do at home. You know, I love watching box sets get home, switch off, watch a box set and just forget about football to the next day. You know, if your battery level's low, it kind of recharges you and you go into football the next day thinking, okay, I feel mentally much more fresh. And I think that's so vitally important. And I think a lot of players have to find their kind of switch off and their kind of way to recharge and uh, to keep themselves going. And you learn over the years and that's when you you mentioned, you know, being relentless to it, you know, and that's what I've learned over the years to kind of switch off, mentally recharge and you feel much, much better for it. Big time. Couldn't agree more. I'm a Tottenham fan, I, I have to confess. And I thought it was going to be our year until you guys had the freakiest run. Then we had a bit of a car crash at the end. And you boys weren't playing the night you won the Premier League, weren't you? And Tottenham actually drew to Chelsea, which is what gave you the win. That's the closest I'm going to get Tottenham and Premier League uh, win inside and in the same sentence. And I saw the videos, you know, they, they went they, oh, they went viral, the videos of you lads. What was it like then waiting for that moment when it actually happened? It's fairy tale stuff. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, when it, when obviously the way you describe it, it's great because it kind of brings it back and all, all the memories and just, just the moment kind of comes flooding back because sometimes I do reflect and I think, did it really happen? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it does become surreal, but that day... It's just, you, you can't sleep the night before because you're thinking this could be the moment, you know, and we've arranged to watch it around uh, Jamie Vardy's house and everyone's just hoping it happens. You're just hoping it happens. You just kind of know we've got a second chance, you know, you might be in our, the, the fate's in our hands because we can win the next game, but you just want to get it as soon as possible. That day, just nervous energy, nervous energy, just flooding the, the room from everybody. People biting nails, just anxious, just literally watching the game. And obviously the first half didn't go the way we wanted. So you wouldn't believe like half time, no one spoke to anybody. Everyone was just down, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then obviously going into second half, it was a completely different story. And you could see just the, the mood and the atmosphere just, just increase and... Just the anticipation of, oh, it, it's, it's, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And obviously Hazard scored that goal and everyone went crazy. Then you just wait for the final whistle. And yeah, you know, just ecstasy, just jubilation, excitement, shock. It really happened. We really did do this thing that no one thought was possible. And it's just a flood of emotions, you know. There's tears, there was screams, there was shouts. And everyone's just going crazy. Everyone's just going crazy. And then if you ever try to just go crazy for as long as possible, you're knackered, <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely tired, you know. So I remember like there was just screams and shouts for probably 10 minutes and then everyone was just down on the floor, like just looking, on the, <laughs> just looking at the phone and just replying back to messages. And it, yeah, was, just, yeah. it was a weird carb after... 10 minutes of screaming and I think that was just a combination of like everything that we just went through. Oh, amazing. What about then actually lifting the trophy? Like 
you know, I've only done it a couple of times and it was nothing of the, the profile of a Premier League. What was that like when you finally popped that trophy above your head? What was going through your mind that moment in time? That day, you know, is was, was incredible. Just the whole day, you know, from start to finish was was crazy because amongst everything, we had an actual football match, but it didn't feel like there was a football match being played because yeah. our normal routine, which you, we, we've done for the last 37 games, and obviously we're going to the last couple, last game or so now, and you do your normal warm-up routine, etc. And I was getting pulled from pillar to post, you know, people okay. saying, right, this is what's going to happen, you need to do this, okay, at this point, you need to... And I was like, I, I, I'm trying to stay focused and think, right, I've got a job to do, I want to play football. But you could just hit the atmosphere outside. I've never seen so many people in the dressing rooms, just cameras and everything. And I was like, yeah, you know, I just want to get this match over and enjoy what everything yeah. was going on. And obviously the game finished, we won. And you know you're going to be getting your hands on the trophy, which is, as a little boy, I think anybody that wants to play football would want to have their hands on that Premier League trophy. And me included and to know that um, it is going to happen very, very soon. I couldn't keep my, you know, probably I couldn't keep my excitement in. And yeah, I think if you watch the video, you know, the moment I got handed a trophy, I took a, a little moment to myself, I closed my eyes, just to take a mental picture of, of, of this moment. So, you know, anytime I need to think about it, it's there. And you'll see on the videos, you know, just before I lifted the trophy, I closed my eyes and then lift it. And yeah, you know, it's, it's a dream come true. How did the captaincy then, or the expectation of captaincy change then? You go into the next year then, obviously completely different situation. I imagine like pre-season, you know, round one in the Premier League, suddenly the pressure then is massively on your shoulders compared to the season before. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with, with the pressure, you know. That was the, the main difference. All of a sudden there's expectation. And with the expectation comes you know, pressure. And we, we didn't cope too well with it in the league anyway. We lost our first game against newly promoted side and we never really got going. Uh, but obviously, you know, I think the fans, uh, people watching expected us to, right, you won the league. Are you going to win it again? And and that was not the case. And you know, I always look back and I think to myself, you know, what was it that, why did we actually win the league? And I think it was just a combination of players playing at the, the absolute pinnacle, um, along with the fact that, you know, I think the big challenges that are normally challenging each and every season was having a bit off season. And we just capitalised on that. And the season after we won the league, it was, it was completely different. You know, we, we struggled a lot, to be fair, and there was a lot of pressure. But saying that, you know, we did fantastic in the, in the Champions League, yeah. which was great uh, and was an amazing experience also. But yeah, just the... Uh, the expectation, the pressure was completely different. You know, instead of being kind of the underdogs and you can just go about doing your business how you want, all of a sudden you're like, right, you, you should be winning. And I don't think we as a team cope too well with that. When things start slipping away, which is which is natural, did you feel a responsibility, a big responsibility to sort of pick the boys back up? Or do you just then change your focus, like you say, to a Champions League or a Cup run? Yeah, I've always felt that responsibility. I've always felt that if things aren't going well the kind of eyes are on you a little bit and what's going on was you know I used to hear that quite a lot like you know from friends family you know manager staff you know what, what's going on what's going on in the change rooms and you automatically feel that responsibility to kind of half you know not just put it right but to get everyone going again and I think that's the thing 
me especially, you know, I, I kind of not enjoyed it, but, you know, I, I wanted to have that responsibility and to try and put things right, uh, especially when you can spot players are starting to doubt themselves and the mood is low and the confidence is low. Despite how I felt, I always wanted to kind of perceive myself as being upbeat, being confident and trying to mote the players in, in that sense to pick them back up and, and get them going again. And, and probably that's, that's the best way to sum it up. So fast forward to Leicester's FA Cup victory in 2021 against Chelsea. Another great accolade. You started that game as a substitute and it was Kasper Schmeichel who was captain. But for the trophy lift, he called you over to lift it with him. I thought that was a massive sign of respect. Was that pre-planned or was that something that Casper did naturally? No, it wasn't pre-planned. Um, you know, <laughs> I wasn't guaranteed to even play or get involved with that game and, uh, you know, to get on the pitch and to help the team, you know, win the FA Cup was, was fantastic. And to be fair, you know, the, the onus was on Casper on that occasion. You know, he's the one that I didn't play much that season, so he's led the, the team out all season and in that in the game as well you know it could have been him just to lift the trophy and you know I'm just part of the, the guys behind and probably get my turn to hold it uh, but you know we had a conversation and I kind of said to him you know Casper, you've led the team out all season you know you go and lift it and he had a moment and he thought no that, that's not right that doesn't feel right you know you can lift it with me and I thought that was unbelievable for him and, and like I said at the beginning of the interview I've always had a close connection with Casper and you know he's my right hand man and we've, we've faced so much together you know the good times and the bad times and I think that kind of demonstrated you know how, how close he was because he could have you know there's a big moment in history for Leicester and he could have been the face of it uh, but he, he brought me in and um, you know very very thankful for that that's nice. On some of the, the leadership stuff now and just looking at pros and cons of captaincy, what would perhaps be the worst thing about captaincy that you weren't expecting? Say, you know, a young Wes Morgan, age now 19, coming through the system, no experience of captaincy whatsoever. What's probably some of the things about captaincy that you didn't like, that you didn't expect? Probably just the, I see the admin, with inverted commas, the admin side of it. And I don't mean like writing reports and stuff like that I mean just the order kind of the issues and dealing with the little things you know players have got issues players want days off always knocking on the manager's door always knocking on the director of football's door dealing with problems and then vice versa I'm getting called in all the time to the the manager's office all the time to in the you know director of football's office to just deal with issues and just little things where I'm thinking is it, is it really my job to deal with these things? You know, my job is to make sure the team is, is playing their best and to support everybody. Um, so these kind of admin, that's the way I describe it, admin issues. It's, it's just the little things that I think, you know, speak to other captains is the part that, you know, probably annoys them the most. I find it funny because it's funny how there's so many similarities. So would it, when you say that, I'm thinking of things which happened to me, which might have happened to you. So would you have had things like, say I was quite young, I'd have like a player who's in their 30s, and he'd come up to me on like a Tuesday, which would be a big day training for us. He'd be like, oh, Warby, I'm knackered, mate. <laughs> mate, you've got to, you got to get, get into the coach and cancel the session. Mate, I'm battered. And then suddenly, like, we'd have lunch. Then there were these rumours going, boys, boys, Warby's got our back here. We're going to have this afternoon session cancelled. He's going to do work his magic. And then 
we'd sit down for a team meeting and the coach would go, right, session content today, we're going to be doing X, Y, and everyone's <laughs> looking at me like, what, what? the fuck, <laughs> what? You haven't delivered. Like, did you have stuff like that going on when you were captain? Absolutely the same. You know, it's so <laughs> similar, you know, especially if we've won and instead of having one day and everyone's like, Wes, get us two days off. Wes, get us two days off. I'm like, flipping up, but we've got, you know, it's a big week, you know, we've got a big game, we've got Man United on the weekend, like, I know the manager's going to want us to get us in. No, Wes, Wes, we just would like, blah, blah, blah. So you have to make that walk across the dressing room, say, gaff, I have a word. And have that kind of conversation, oh, I think it'd be great for the team, you know, they have the extra day off to come back in Tuesday, you know, raring to go, ready for the next, the big, big game at the weekend. And yeah, this, this, that was constant, you know, always trying to, you know, on the back of a performance or, you know, even sometimes, like you say, you know, first couple of sessions back and you're still feeling the aches and pains and we used to have the thing, I'm not sure if you guys had it, the, the Canada over 30 club where you <laughs> yeah. might get the extra day off um, yeah. but the rest of the guys are in, you know, and that used to be yeah, a big, big thing to try and sort that out on the on the Friday before the game, never mind after the game for the for the 30 plus guys. But nah, that, that's, it's, it's funny you say that. Oh, I love hearing that. The worst one we had was we were in this like summer training camp in Doha and obviously it's boiling over there and we had like a brutal few days training and there was this vicious rumour that they were going to cancel the session and we were going to go to the water park for the afternoon. And everyone's like, yeah, so we're going to the water park. And then we ended up having the meeting, like our world just crashed down on us. And we had a session <laughs> in the incredible humidity and 40 degree heat. And we absolutely get this. So I'm glad it's not just me going right. through that. That's, that's nice to hear. What about the nice stuff that you'll always hold with you about being captain? I think what I really enjoyed, and it might be just a little thing to most people, but kind of leading the team out, you know, that moment yeah. in the in the tunnel and then you're first out to lead the team. You know, I always think of my team as kind of my kind of, not kids, but my guys you, you feel responsible for. You make that walk and then you line up and then you're the first to shake everyone's hands down the line. And, um, you know, you, you, you kind of, that guy, you're the, you're the captain and everyone's following you. You know, that responsibility and that leadership, you know, is definitely one of the main things I enjoyed about about being a captain. Was there ever times you wished you weren't? Um, no, I don't think so. I sometimes thought, right, this should be an on-the-pitch captain and off-the-pitch captain, so I don't have to deal with the, you know... All the little things, so, you know, that had been inverted commas kind of things, you know, someone else can deal with that. On the pitches where kind of I thrive and I'm like, yes, I can get the guys going and I can do my bits on the pitch. So that's the only kind of thing I've always kind of thought of. This should be an on-the-field captain, off-the-field captain because the amount of requests, the amount of stuff you have to do, media's coming up to you, where's who should we pick to do this interview? Like, I'm like, that's not my job. It's the no, off-the-field captain's press job. Press officer, <laughs> mate, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the only thing. But nah, always, you know, enjoyed being a captain and loved and relished it. Dealing with people, what were some of, maybe some of the difficult things that you might have had to do as captain where you might have felt you'd been a bit of a killjoy or... It was against the rub of the grey. What was perhaps some of the more difficult conversations that you would have had and had to de deal with as a captain? I think what I've, what's always kind of difficult is probably just dealing with the players that are demotivated and, and not playing. You know, there's, there's sometimes yeah. there's players that you know grow, go throughout the whole season and not really get much game time. Sometimes there'll be you know like a little side group of players that are not involved and need extra top up of training and extra work and they'll be the same type of faces and you can tell they're not happy uh, they're down don't want to leave and probably just dealing with them you know dealing with them 
trying to keep them going, keep them motivated, reassure them you'll get your chance and when it comes, you know, you need to take it with both hands and, and stuff like that. And then, yeah, there's just the, the other side of, you know, players doing silly things and, you know, I've been guilty of it myself and I always feel like, you know, the adults at the end of the day. So you just need to be responsible and if you if you whatever happens you know you have to deal with the consequences and, and it's on you and all you do is advise but I never felt like I yeah. needed to be the kind of the killjoy and say no don't do that you know I I would say I wouldn't do that at the end of the day they're going to do what they're going to do so if I can protect them if I can help them if I can dissuade them you know I'll try and do that but you know, I always, a big thing for me is like, you know, you're adult, you're responsible, you know what you're doing, you know if it's right or wrong, and you deal with the consequences if, if it's wrong. So you're retired now, but you're still wanting to lead an influence in the game. And, and you've said, and so I've got a quote, there aren't many black players in senior management positions, and I want to break that mould. So what are your ambitions now off the pitch? Yeah, I think when you get to that age, when you're about to retire, you're thinking, right, what do I want to do next? And I've always liked the kind of the sporting director, the kind of director of football, the kind of senior management executive type role, um, being on the board and still continuing to help the team in a different way, off the pitch, but in a different way. And now, you know, we're doing a, a uni course and trying to get the credentials needed to try and get to those positions I aspire to be in. And like you mentioned there, you know, there's not many people. It's, it's not very diverse and inclusive in, in those areas. You know, there's not many examples of, of people in those areas that you can think yes this is where I want to be this is who I want to become you know and and that's sad because if you look on the field you know one in three people are from you know minority ethnic backgrounds and in the senior boardroom in the executive area for of, of football it's, it's it's you'll see hardly no people of different backgrounds different creeds and colors so it's something that I want to first of all trying to break into and, and try and get into those positions and hopefully people can look at me there and be uh, inspired to try and achieve that also well i got to say it's been a, a real treat for me this last hour and I've, I've absolutely loved chatting to you and you know I've, I've seen from afar you know what Leicester City were all about what you were about but it's it's painfully obvious, you know, why you know you've had such a successful season with yourself at the helm. So honestly, thanks so much for for giving up your time. I've learned a lot actually. It's been been pretty funny at times as well. Nice to exchange those. So thanks for your time, Wes, and obviously congratulations on a sterling career and all the best for what happens. I'll be watching with a close eye to see how you do in life post playing football as well. So thanks so much, mate. Loved it. Yes, thank you very much, Sam. It's good to hear your stories too. Uh, see the similarities. So really good. Ah, nice one. Cheers, Wes. See you soon, mate. Cheers. Bye. Thanks again to Wes for his time. What a nice guy. Really humble. And despite being in sporting circles, I haven't spoken to that many Premier League footballers actually over the years. And I was really struck by how genuine and authentic that he wanted to be in his leadership and by leading by what you do as well seemed really important to him. One thing that also stood out was the importance of team bonding and how you can become stronger as a unit by being close and working for each other. An important lesson I think we can all take on board. Wes is a great case study for never giving up. It's an old cliche, but he didn't play in the Premier League until he was 30 and obviously then went on to win it. We spoke about the dedication required and the sacrifices you need to take to achieve your goals. And Wes's journey was one of 10 years until he reached the pinnacle of professional football. 
Okay, that's about it for this episode. I'd love it if you got in touch with any thoughts, questions, or suggestions for future guests. And you can do so by emailing captains at crowdnetwork.co.uk or using the hashtag captainspod on social media. You can also find us on LinkedIn by searching captains with Sam Warburton. Next week, my guest is one of the most successful sailors of all time. He's got four Olympic goals to his name, and he knows a thing or two about leadership. He's the current CEO, team principal, and skipper of Ineos Britannia, Sir Ben Ainsley. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.